Chapter 4 A Meeting Unknown October 1773 The narrow rough road leading into Boston, or the neck of Boston, was silent in the late hours of the night. The greatcoat was buttoned to his nose while the reins rested between the musket and his fingers. This technique was being utilized, moving in the cities at night. It was already cold, and he hated the cold. The greatcoat served multiple purposes since leaving home, but the most important one has been providing adhe warmth. Throughout the city, there are pockets of prostitutes and off-duty soldiers huddled around the entrances of brothels and back alley streets. The deviants thrive at night, and tonight was no different. He knows that if there is any information about military officers, it would be at one of these brothels or taverns. He selects a densely populated tavern deep in the city and guides Raven to a hitching post. Once off the powerful horse, he secured his gear and ensured he was armed for anything. He places his forehead on Raven's head and sarcastically smiles, saying, Cover me, girl. The horse neighs, seemingly replying to Adahi. He unbuttons the top button of his greatcoat, opening it to the top of his chin, and walks toward the tavern entrance. The group of redcoats and women are outside drunkenly frolicking as he slips into the entrance unnoticed. The interior of the tavern was clouded with pipe smoke, laughter, and constant cheers. The atmosphere couldn't have been richer. Adahi made his way to an empty spot at the bar top. Before he could get his hand up to order, the barkeep speaks. Tea? Ale? Cider? Madeira? We tend to carry it all. Madeira, Adahi replies, unbuttoning a second button allowing him to drink smoothly. He has been craving the subtly sweet Portuguese wine since Charleston. Aye, sir. Coming right up, he grabs a bottle of wine and empties the remaining contents into a large mug for Adahi. What brings you to Boston, young patron, if you don't mind the inquiry? I do mind, Adahi says plainly. Well, sir, my apologies, the barkeep says as he tosses the empty bottle onto the ground. But you might know how to help me, or at least point me in the right direction of the person who can. Adhi says, resting two shillings on the bar top. The confused, yet interested barkeep stops his cleaning and leans on the bar toward Adahi with his eyes on the coin. You have my attention. Cautiously, Adahi speaks. Where can I find a man named Thomas Young? The man shifts slightly and softly speaks, moving his eyes from the coin to Adahi. Do you mean retired Major now local committee leader, Thomas Young? Yes, I do, Adi says directly, pulling his tobacco pouch and pipe out of the greatcoat side pocket. Adi, he was under the inception his uncle was still actively in the king's military. The barkeep was a shifty character, and Adi, he didn't like this exchange of information, but he knew it was a lead, nonetheless. The information I might have be worth something more if you're willing to pay for one question, or maybe two, one would assume. The barkeep says slightly, trying to get more coin from Adahi. This would be true if I were dim. Unfortunately, barkeep, I am not, and I will not pay you more than I have. You have profited nicely from me in these last moments. Do not let them be your last, he says sternly to the barkeep, lighting his pipe with a candle. Right you are! I know a man who knows him, he lives down the street, and I can get him tonight. Meet me outside in twenty minutes. The barkeep's voice cracked while he spoke, then he moved outside, eyeing his coin. Very well, Adahi replies, and with his next breath, 
pipe firmly wedged in the corner of his mouth, he pulls a long-awaited smoke into his lungs. The exchange of information was rough, and out of he knew he couldn't trust a barkeep. Anyone who asks you to drink tea first is usually crown loyalist. Immediately, Adahi was cautious of exposing himself to the barkeep and others around. But the tavern patrons were all drunk, and it was a late night. It was a risk Adahi was willing to take for no other reason, and he had no starting point for locating his uncle. The smoke seems to ignite the inner peace within him, and he finally feels some semblance of nearing the completion of his task. Adahi spends the next several minutes finishing his tobacco bowl in Madeira, before walking to the side door, avoiding a congested front entrance. Once outside, the chilly night air is prominent, and Adahi rebuttons his greatcoat to the top. Something isn't right. He notices an object move slightly in his peripherals. Smack! Everything goes black as he falls to the ground. When the young man finally awakens, the pain is unbearable. The black right side of his head feels swollen and he knows immediately before anything he is tied tightly to a wooden post. The muffled wool bag over his head smells like shit and dirt. Aye, he's awake, I see, one of the fuzzy figures says. Both figures disrupt the filtered bronze light coming through the wool bag as he attempts to open his eyes. One of the men aggressively snags the wool bag off his head just as the other man tosses a bucket of water on his newly exposed face. The water stuns a tied-up young man to the core. Fuck! He shouts and is immediately silenced with a quick thrust of the ribs from the fatter man's musket buttstock. Listen here, you fucking engine. I don't know who told you. The barn door opens, and from the light comes a gray-bearded older man. His square face carried a prominent scar that started just under his left eye and his cheekbone and ending just at the top of his neck. He notices Adahi tied up and grabs both men by their jacket collars forcefully. You fucking imbeciles. This man was merely to be questioned. That is all. Now you have harmed the integrity of our cause and my command. Humiliation covers their faces as they look toward the floor. You may both take your leave. Fucking disgraces. You're lucky I don't have you on a transport ship tonight headed to the African coast. Yes, sir. Sorry, sir. They say in unison and leave the barn. Fucking savages. And they say the natives are the savages. But I have yet to see the natives beat a man that's tied up. The old bearded man says with genuine benevolence. The pain is mainly in the back of his head, causing a severe headache. The rope wraps around his ankles and his wrists are becoming burned and bloody from his countless movements trying to wiggle free. They must have caught up with me from the Santee River Tavern, he thought. The well-dressed old man grabs a small barrel and sits in front of Adahi. Let me apologize for those men. The treatment to you was not my intention, nor my wishes. Truly, I am sorry, he said genuinely and continued with a half-smile. Well, you're either very dumb or very brave. Who sent you, young man? Who is your employer, and why are you inquiring about Thomas Young here in Boston? You better not have touched my horse, Adahi says fiercely with a murderous undertone. The black mare is untouched. Still hitched where you left her? Now answer my question. Who sent you, and why are you inquiring about Thomas Young? The words leave the scarred, gray-bearded man's mouth with increasing impatience. I have no employer, and Thomas Young is my uncle, Adahi says truthfully. The man stops moving and sits straight up, fixing his posture and speaks. Hm. I assure you, you must be mistaken. Adahi looks at the man, slowly realizing the older man he's speaking with is, in fact, Thomas Young. He was tall before he sat down. 
He carried himself well, and he had lighter blonde hair, just like Adahi. You are Thomas Young? Indeed, young man. Now, I have no nephew, so give up this ruse and explain yourself, he says with his tone becoming darker. I am the son of John Young. That is impossible. His words carry the coldness of ice as he stands up, seemingly covering the room with his energy. It is entirely possible because I was born in Nassau in 1751, Adahi replies, unfazed by the man's demeanor. Lieutenant John Young was killed in 1751, so it would be wise of you to stop talking, the man says now with his face red with anger. My Charleville, 1728, was my father's and his father's before him. Your father, if you are Thomas Young, brother of John Young, sons of Edward Young. I speak no lies, and I am clearly here under truthful intentions. The prominent Bostonian stood silent for moments upon hearing his father's name before speaking. How, how do you know this information? Again, sir, my father is John Young. I do not lie, Addie says firmly. The man walks out of the barn, turns to the prisoner's weapons and grabs a Charleville. To his surprise, there is an engraved EY on the buttstock plate. Is it possible? He questions himself and admires a long-forgotten musket that was once his father's. Moments later, he's back in the barn with the prisoner. What is your name? He asks the tied-up man. Adahi. Tell me everything you know about John Young. Adahi, the older man says sternly, grabbing a small barrel and sitting on it in front of Adahi again. Having a gut feeling and no other options, Adahi begins. He is my father but I only know of him through the brief stories told from my mother and uncle. He died a few full moons after my birth. Apparently, he was a sailor of sorts, and he loved my mother. That is all I know, Adahi says firmly, truthfully giving enough information but not exposing too much. His attitude resonates in you. It is good to formally meet you, Adahi. I am Thomas Young, he says to his nephew, being long reminded of his lost brother. The tied-up man sounds, looks, and acts just like Thomas's younger brother, John. Convinced, he walks to him and cuts his wrist and ankle bindings. We shall speak tonight, in my home. I will see to it that you are given zero restrictions when it comes to traveling within Boston Harbor and the outlining areas. I want you to go relax, grab some ale, and meet me in my home at sundown. I want to know everything about my brother, Thomas says, helping Adahi up off the ground and walking out of the barn showing him Raven, his weapons and gear. Also, my wife will take a look at your head and wrist wounds tonight. I am off with haste. See you soon! Thomas walks to his horse, mounts a beautiful steed, and quickly rides away. Adahi grabs his gear and weapons off the ground and puts everything back in its respective locations in his saddlebags and holsters. He grabs his wrists, rubbing his wounds, getting all the excess rope from out of his skin. Within moments, he pulls his gear back on his body, securing it tightly, and walks out of the barn. They didn't harm you, did they, girl? Adahi asked Amira, petting her neck as she is noticeably happy to be back in his presence. He continues talking to Raven, unhitching her from the post. I know. It was careless, and I wasn't even paying attention. I refuse to allow complacency like that again. We cannot afford it. I'm lucky, Raven. We're lucky, Adahi says to the horse and mounts her. Now. Let's go get some good food and some good ale. He clicks his teeth, and Raven starts trotting toward the heart of Boston.
The three-story brick home on Mills Lane was a magnificent Georgian-style home with large glass-pane windows overlooking the Mill Dam. Adahi arrived after a few hours of drinking ale and eating beef briskets and potatoes. He hitched Raven to the hitching post outside the home next to the two militia-looking men. The man on the left opens a wooden gate allowing Adahi to the steps of the front door. He grabs the door knocker and knocks. A stunning middle-aged woman answers his door, presumably Thomas's wife, a smaller figure, not an inch past five feet in height, with light brown shorter hair. Her attitude was that of genuine hospitality. Good evening, Adahi, she says politely and welcomes him into the home, closing the door as he walks in. Tommy Chung comes from around the stairwell, still in his clothes from earlier. Adahi, the long-lost unknown son of my deceased brother, he says laughing and continues. I apologize for how my men detained you and how my attitude was earlier. Allow me to introduce my wife, Mary Young. Happy to meet you, Adahi, she says with a slight head nod. Likewise, Adahi says respectfully and continues. I did not anticipate locating you would come this easily. Thomas chuckles. Yes, as a local committee leader, it is necessary for me to investigate any mentioning of my name within the Boston, he says directly and continues. Come, into the study with me. Sit. Thomas was evidently at ease, calm in character, and not the violent individual the King's Highway made him out to be. As Thomas walked into the study, he sat in the rocking chair next to the hearth and motioned for Adahi to follow. Surrounding the fireplace is a large hand-laid brick and stone beautiful mosaic. On top of the mantel, there was a beautiful old wood-stained box. It was square but elongated, a few feet with a lock in the middle, and the same initials as Adahi Charleville, E.Y., Adahi what is immediately intrigued by the long box of the fire and sits down in a chair and turns to Thomas. Your father sent me postage from Nassau many years ago claiming he had found something and that was indeed the reason for the king sending the men to hunt him. Thomas takes a breath. The story I received was John killed a handful of superior officers and fled the crown. While he was labeled a traitor and a coward, the king hired a small army of privateers, mercenaries, and select British officers to locate him. The king spared no expense. I heard of the incident months later, and the entire story seemed a bit odd to me. Odd only because I know my brother, and I know he didn't murder anyone. Years later, I received postage that confirmed my suspicions. He did, in fact, find something the king long desired, and had to flee because the king wanted him removed and the artifact for himself. His uncle's words stopped, and the silence resumes. Adi he's trying to absorb all the information his uncle just revealed to him. Adi he always had known the King George II had killed his father. He just didn't know the motivation behind it. His mother had once told Adahi of his father's death and how she witnessed it just offshore from their home when Adahi was just a baby. What my father found was lost with him? Adahi asked finally. As I said, he never mentioned anything other than he found an artifact in a cave system of severe importance. Do you want to read what he sent me? You still carry it. Is that wise? Adahi asked, shocked he kept the letter. I still carry it because the postage is marked from my father. Thomas smiles and stands up, walking out of the room. A million thoughts swirl around Adahi's mind as he waits for the letter. The flames from the fire dance around the room, flickering illuminations on the walls. His eyes catch the box that is above the fire once more. Adahi withdraws his clay pipe and tobacco pouch. He pinches a wad and packs a clay bowl and pulls out a thin spool of twine from his greatcoat pocket. He unspools a few inches and sticks a tip into the fire, sparking it into the twine, and uses that to light his tobacco bowl.
The flame burns slowly in the twine, allowing for multiple uses on the same flame. Thomas returns with two envelopes in his left hand. Take your time, Thomas says, handing the letter to Adahi. The paper is old, and Adahi can tell immediately, touching them, that this has been preserved properly over the years. 1745 Dear Thomas, My brother, I am alive, and I am in Spain. I have not much time, for I fear I am being tracked. Our ever-godly King George II has summoned all of his might to locate what I have found. But, not a few years' time has passed since I stumbled into the labyrinth cave system in the Kingdom of Candy serving His Majesty that I believe I found the rarest artifact known to man. For security reasons, I shall not reveal what it is now, not without confirmation. I must seek out Elmer N., the author of a book who might hold the information I require. The king deeply desires what I hold, and it believes to be have supernatural abilities. I must learn more about this relic. Thomas, do not believe what the king says about me and my accused actions. I will write to you again. Stay safe, brother. Your ever-loving younger brother, John. Adahi folds the leather back up and creases and slides back into the envelope. Strange, says Adahi quietly almost to himself as the crackling wood quietly snaps in the background. Well, what is it? inquires Thomas about hearing the word. The talisman my father gave me when I was a baby. He pulls the necklace out from under his shirt and leather chest rig. This is the item he found. The gold talisman glimmers the reflections of the dancing flames. The distinctly shaped golden shard was beautiful. It was triangle, looking upon first glances with sharp edges, polished and smooth. It was wide, with two points at the top, going downward to one final point at the bottom. The shard was encased and held to Adahi's chain by metal wiring wrapping the edges to the top, securing it. How do you know? Thomas asked, looking at the talisman. My mother. She said when I was born, my father placed this necklace on me for protection. She told my father it carried dark spirits and was unsure of gifting it to me, but he insisted. Adahi hangs his head and rubs his temples, letting in a large exhale. <sighs> has to be it. It only makes sense. Thomas sits back down and says, It seems to be a small piece of gold secured to a chain necklace, and I've never seen it once in my lifetime. It must be the item John found and was hunted for. It has to be. Adhi's mind races, trying to make sense of all this information. His mind begins connecting the dots. You would think they would still be searching for it, Adhi says heedfully. This may be true. The King George II is dead and his manic son, King George III, sits atop the throne. And as far as he's concerned, that supernatural, mythological mission died with his father. And if that talisman is indeed the artifact in which your father found, it can never fall into the hands of the crown loyalist, or even let it be known that you're the son of John Young. What do I do? Adahi unselfishly asks. You go back to your village with your uncle and mother. You go back and live a long life, find a lover and grow a family and stay away from whatever it is your father unraveled. Of course, we will visit often, now that we know we have relatives down south, Thomas says optimistically. Wouldn't that be ideal? But my mother is no longer with us, and her dying wish was, go to Boston and find a man named Major Thomas Young. He is your father's blood brother, and that is exactly what I did. Now, I don't know what she knew before I was born because she really spoke of that life, but you have to help me. She knew something about my father, and she kept it to herself. I am sorry for your loss. I wasn't aware she had passed. I am not sure how to help on the issue of your father. Thomas looks at Mary and back to Adahi. 
He has been gone now since just after your birth. The sea took him as his pursuers destroyed his ship with cannon fire. Adahi knew the story from his uncle Wahale about his father and the night he saved him and his mother by sacrificing himself to the Redcoats who were hunting him. It was a story Adahi never forgot and chose to keep to the forefront of his most cherished memories. The seldom words about his father from his mother hurt Adahi, but he was strong and knew his mother was heartbroken. He adored and loved his mother more than anything Adahi had ever known, so forgiveness came with ease, exchanging with love. Putting his face into his hands as if it had been defeated, Adahi slumps over with his elbows on his knees. Moments pass, allowing the crackling fire to interrupt the silence. The atmosphere in the room is clear as Mary stands up and exits through the doorway to the library. Adahi, unsure of what comes next, lifts his head out of his hands, glancing around the room, and looks a third time at the elongated, locked wooden box before bringing his eyes to the fire. Thomas stands and walks to the fire, sitting down in the chair opposite of Adahi. The elder figure leans toward his nephew with his elbows on his knees as a fire reflects on his face showcasing his left facial scar. In a low, more serious tone, Thomas asks, In your travels, have you ever heard of the King's Bane? <laughs>